you, Melanie. Um, I couldn't help but uh, say this morning when she rehearsed that song, well, that we should probably sing that for the next three Sundays at least because you know, here we are in Mark 14, picking up immediately where we last all left off last week, the last night of Jesus. I imagine him saying perhaps something like that to his disciples. And so in Mark 14, Jesus and his disciples, if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. But they are together uh, with the exception of Judas. He is not with them now. They have left Jerusalem, and these verses in Mark 14 are his account of what took place in the last couple of hours before Jesus was arrested. So let's read beginning at verse number 32, Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. 
And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the reading of your word. It is the anchor of our souls. If it is not true, then we can close the church and go home today and go on and live however we want to live. But it is true. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would come now and take its truths and apply them by divine grace to our hearts and lives so that we might leave here this morning different than when we came in. Further conformed to the holy image of your Son, Jesus. In His name we ask these things. Amen. If you knew that tonight was your last night on earth, where would you spend it? Who would you spend it with? What would you spend it doing? You know, most of us will never actually know when our last night is our last night. To be even able to make those choices. But there was one who did. And we have it recorded for us here in the 14th chapter of Mark. These verses find Jesus after sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, stealing away to a garden on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, a garden called Gethsemane, a place that both John and Luke tell us in their Gospels that Jesus liked to go. And he is going there to pray. Now we've seen Jesus pray in the Gospels before. But this night was different. There seems to be a struggle in Jesus that we haven't seen before. And friends, I want to impress upon us this morning that He is struggling in the garden over us. He's struggling over us. The incarnate Son of God was wading into uncharted territory where no person of the triune God had ever been. Because He was about to become intimately acquainted with sin. He who knew no sin was about to be made to be sin for our sake. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that was his struggle. Not the crucifixion, not the beatings, not the physical suffering that we so often get so teary-eyed about. He was struggling over things that we cannot see. And friends, he dreaded what was before him. He dreaded it. But through this agonizing prayer here in Gethsemane, Jesus resolved to finish His redemptive mission and bear sins 
that were not his own. So that all who trust in him might receive a righteousness that is not their own. And so I want us this morning to look at these verses in Mark 14 and behold the struggle of Jesus in the garden. The first thing we see here is that his agony reveals the guilt of the human heart. This is going to be uncomfortable this morning, friends. The agony of Jesus reveals the guilt of the human heart. If you are human here this morning, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Verse 32 says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. That means olive press. Olive press. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So Jesus, having entered the garden, has now gone a little bit deeper with his inner circle that we often see him with, Peter, James, and John. And while his other disciples wait, he prays, and he is starting to really feel the weight of the task before him. He says in verse 34, My soul is very sorrowful. (laughs) It is full of sorrow. Even to death, remain here and watch. He's talking to Peter, James, and John. The original language conveys the intensity of his emotions. Overwhelming anxiety. Verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground. Friends, go there. (laughs) Go there with me by faith to Gethsemane and see this. He fell on the ground. This is the eternal Son of God. Falling to His knees on ground that He created. Have you ever been so overwhelmingly grieved by something that you collapsed under the weight of it? Perhaps, maybe, but not like this. Luke tells us that Jesus began to sweat great drops of blood. And that even an angel was dispatched from heaven to strengthen him. The humanity of Jesus is now on full display. No one can go to Gethsemane and come away thinking that he wasn't human. Yes, he was divine, fully divine, but he was also fully human. 
The prophet Isaiah called him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But what was he so grieved about that he sweat drops of blood? Look at verse 35. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, oh, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the Old Testament, the cup is often, the image of a cup is often used as a figure for God's holy and hot wrath against sin. This was a cup that Jesus would have to drink alone. The righteous for the unrighteous. The guiltless for the guilty. And in this tender expression of reliance, he says, Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's a term that Jewish children would use to address their fathers. Jesus says, Abba, Father. I do not want to drink this cup. I do not want to feel your wrath against sin. That's what he's saying here. This was a cup that we filled to the brim, (laughs) not him. The son who had never known the disapproval of his father would now have to feel his infinite wrath against him and him alone. And I wonder, friends, do we see Jesus here in the garden fallen to the ground under the weight of our guilt? Every click of pornography, every lust, every hateful word, every lie, every envious, prideful, or self-righteous thought, every unforgiveness, every bitterness that we hold towards others, every secret sin... That is what drove him to the ground in Gethsemane. But oh, how often do we have such a casual attitude towards sin? J.C. Ryle says this, We ought to see in our Lord's agony in Gethsemane, the exceeding sinfulness of sin. His holy nature felt acutely the hideous burden laid upon him. 
It is a subject on which the thoughts of professing Christians are far below what they should be. Too many of us today want only to see the mercy and the grace of Jesus without seeing Him here in the garden, crushed to the ground under the weight of our guilt. Oh, friends, let us look upon what our sin did to the Holy Son of God. Linger upon Him in agony because of us. Secondly, we see here in the garden that Judas's betrayal reveals the depravity of the human heart. Reveals the depravity of our hearts. Look at verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, that's, that's Jesus still speaking, Judas came, Mark says, one of the twelve. He wants us to know that Judas was one of his own. One of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. Some translations might duplicate, duplicate that. They say, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher. And he kissed him, verse 46, and they laid hands on him and seized him. The moment that Jesus foretold at the Last Supper, just a few short hours earlier, had arrived, the betrayer was at hand. He was one of the twelve, one who was loved by Jesus, taught by Jesus, one who walked with Jesus. And this one would now deliver Jesus into the hands of those who wanted him dead. Much ink has been spilled over why Judas did what he did. I confess I have pondered it for years. What drove him to this point? Why did he do it? Was it his greed? You remember when Mary broke the box of ointment, Judas complained. Was it his greed? Was it his desire to force the hand of Jesus into becoming a revolutionary against the tyranny of Rome? That's what everybody wanted. They wanted a Messiah to deliver them from political oppression. We don't really know the motive of Judas's heart. We never will. But what the manner of his betrayal does 
is that it gives us a glimpse into not the motive, but the depravity of his heart. The kiss was a sign of respect and affection. And in the original language of verse 45, the, the form of the verb for kissed is intensified. It suggests a prolonged kiss of affection. Judas wanted the mob to know, this is the man. And in an act of treacherous pretense, Judas betrayed, betrayed the Lord of glory. Pastor Kent Hughes, he's the pastor of college, or was the pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. He says this, Judas's kiss drips with horror, for it is a calloused prostitution of one of humanity's most sacred symbols. His infamous kiss showed how low a human heart can go. And the scary application for us this morning in the 21st century is that Judas had all the externals. He was one of the twelve. He was a leader among them. He took care of their money purse. He drew close to Jesus at the Last Supper. He kissed him in the garden. But it was all a pretense. What about us this morning? Is our external faith everything that everybody else sees? You remember at the Last Supper, the disciples were like, Is it I? Is it me? Is it me? They were all asked. They had no clue. Judas had them all fooled. <laughs> Is our external faith just a pretense to cloak a treacherous heart? Pursues our own agenda. Friends, beware of the Judas spirit this morning. Beware of it. The depth of human depravity is not only displayed in Judas, but also in the mob that he brought with him. Verse 48, Jesus said to them, Have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs? To capture me. Day after day I was with you in the temple. Teaching. And you did not seize me. Jesus says. By the way. If you want to get the full picture of this scene. Read all four gospels. A lot happens that Mark doesn't. Record. And some things happen that he does record. That none of the other writers record. Read all four. He says, why are you treating me like a criminal? You could have arrested me. Every day I was in the temple. He's talking about during this week. You know, this is Thursday. So from Sunday to Thursdays in the temple. Teaching, turning over tables. They didn't arrest him. They come in the darkness of night. 
Why do you come to me like this? With clubs and swords in the darkness. But Jesus did not resist. He did not fight back. He said, very simply, let the scriptures be fulfilled. He knew what was happening. He was, as the prophet Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 53, oppressed and afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah says in 53 verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And so the betrayal of Judas and the mob really displays the depravity of the human heart. The agony of Jesus reveals the guilt of the human heart. But there's one more character in this narrative, in this account, I want us to look at. His name was Simon Peter. And Peter's fickleness reveals the unreliability of the human heart. His fickleness shows us just how unreliable we are. Let's rewind the scene just a little bit to before Judas and his mob show up. Jesus is now praying to his father while Peter, James, and John, they're keeping watch. And verse 37 says that he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Those same words were, I think what Mark is referring to is, not my will, but yours be done. So he goes again again. And praise those words. In verse 40, he came again and found them sleeping again. For their eyes were very heavy and they, they did not know what to answer him. They didn't know what to say. Guilty is charged. They had no clue how to respond to Jesus. Verse 41, he came the third time. And said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Let's be honest. The disciples are tired. It has been a long week for them. And they fall asleep. If Peter, James, and John were asleep, you know the other ones were asleep. And then Jesus rebukes Peter in particular for his spiritual sloth, slothfulness, I guess you might say. His spiritual laziness. Why Peter in particular? Because Peter was the one who claimed so boldly that he was willing to die for Jesus. 
But here in the garden, he couldn't even stay awake for Jesus. But friends, don't judge Peter. Don't judge Peter and think that you would have done different. We would not have done any better. And Peter did try. Look at verse number 46. And they, that means the mob, the temple police, if you will, they laid hands on him and seized him. Talking about Christ. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now Mark doesn't give us his name. Now if you remember way back to the first chapter of this sermon series over a year ago, I told you that Mark's gospel was most likely, the the content of it came from Peter. But he he doesn't mention Peter's name here, but John does. John tells us that it was Peter who cut off the servant's ear. And I suspect that Peter was probably aiming for his head. But it was dark. And in a burst of loyalty to protect, to protect his master, Peter pulls out his sword and starts swinging. But friends, it wasn't enough, was it? It was not enough. And within a few minutes, his fearless courage had failed him. Look at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. And just like that, the disciples were scattered just as Jesus said they would earlier that evening up in verse 27 in the upper room at the Last Supper, at the last Passover meal. He said, you will all forsake me this night. And then Mark adds a very interesting detail in verse 51. Look at it, please, with me. Verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, none of the other gospel writers mention this young man. (laughs) Which has led many scholars to believe that this was actually Mark himself. Because there are some clues in Acts chapter 12 that may imply that Mark's mother owned the house in Jerusalem where Jesus and his disciples shared that last Passover meal in the upper room before coming to Gethsemane. And it is possible that young Mark followed from a distance. We don't know for certain. I actually favor the view that this is Mark here running naked away. 
But either way, I think what he wants us to see, what Mark wants us to see, is that everyone abandoned Jesus. And this unnamed young man, friends, is really you and me. He stands as all of those who have an interest in Jesus and who follow Him from a distance, but only as long as as it's safe and convenient. And when the danger gets close, we fall away. We'll run out of our clothes if we have to. Friends, following Jesus will take you to some dangerous places. I mean, who would have ever thought that Christians would be using safety as a reason to quit going to church? The sad reality that COVID has brought upon us in America today is that a great many of the professing Christians here in America wouldn't have even been in the garden with Jesus. They'd have been tucked away in the safety of their homes. So don't, for one second, let us get self-righteous on Peter or Mark or any of those who fled away from him that night. Because we're fleeing away from him every Sunday morning here in this country. And we're... We're forsaking Him for far less. God help us. After Jesus didn't allow His disciples to take up arms and defend Him, remember He says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. told Peter, put your, put your sword away. This is not in Mark. The other Gospels fill in the blanks. He heals the man. The man's name was Malchus, the servant of the high priest. He heals his ear. And after his disciples realized that they were not going to be able to take up arms, they accepted the inevitable, and they all ran away. And so Peter, in particular, goes from spiritual sleepiness to fighting allegiance, to fearful retreat. (laughs) And the rest of the disciples they follow. Friends, oh how fickle and unreliable is the human heart. Do you see Peter's fickleness in your own heart this morning? I do. I feel it. Some days you're on fire for Jesus and other days you live like you don't even know Him. One day you're leading family prayer and the next you're yelling at your kids or your spouse. One day you're trusting God to get you through the trial and the next you're ready to throw in the towel. One day you're praying through the church directory and the next day you're gossiping about the people you prayed for. One day we're reading our Bibles and the next we're binging Netflix. 
we are so fickle. Even in our best intentions, when we pull out our sword to go to war against the powers of darkness, <laughs> we are our best intentions. We just don't have it within us to stand against the darkness that is against us. And so Jesus tells Peter in verse 38, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Friends, we need more than just willpower to keep us faithful through the dark gardens of our lives. We need the enablement of divine grace that comes to us through prayer. Through staying awake in the presence of God when our bodies are sleepy. So we've seen here in the garden the very worst of humanity. The guilt of our hearts, the depravity of our hearts, the unreliability of our hearts. But I want to close by drawing our eyes to the faithfulness of Jesus. Verse 36, he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, yet, that is the word on which the story of redemptive history turns. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And then in verse 41, he says, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So something happened in the heart of Jesus between not my will but yours and then it is enough. And friends, there is no telling what took place in the heavenly realm during that period. Every hellish evil stood against him. The angels, Luke says, came to support him. He cries out to his father because he knows that this is it. And now his will is surrendered. His heart is ready. He says, it's time. Let's go. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Could it be, friends, could it, could it be that here in the garden, in this prayer, the Father set this joy before His Son? As if He said to Him, this is going to be hard. You will bear their shame. But you will sit down at my right hand soon. Is 
it possible that Jesus remembered the psalmist who said, Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Did he remember the the words of Isaiah? Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We will never know what went on between Jesus and his father that night. But whatever it was, he came out of that garden ready for the cross. His sinless shoulders ready to bear the weight of our sin and our guilt. Because only He could do it. Christ alone could satisfy the righteous anger. Yes, anger of His Father against our sin. Oh friends, this is love. This is love. In the garden, Jesus is loving us unto death. In a moment, we're going to sing. And I want to say that if you are here this morning, or watching online, or listening online, and you have never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. Right where you are, confess your sin and flee to Christ. He will save you. Or maybe you're, you're a believer or a professing believer whose faith is just so, so fickle, up and down, unreliable. Your heart leads you in every different direction. I pray that you come to a place this morning of renewed repentance and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.